0: You are listening to the What's After Church podcast, providing support for those leaving church and sharing connection, resources, and strategy with those reimagining faith for the good of all creation. I'm Jason, and thanks for joining me today. What I wish I knew earlier about God's presence. I struggle with fear. The fear of what others think of me, the fear of looking foolish, the fear of disappointing my family, the fear of letting down my friends. As a kid, I hated that fear was holding me back from enjoying life. During a youth church service, someone mentioned that God said, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. The word afraid caught my attention, and I wanted to know if the Bible had something to say about my fear. I asked about this statement, and someone showed me its location. I went home and reread Isaiah 41.10 multiple times. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. For days, I continued to think about the phrase, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I noticed there were two critical parts in the sentence. The first is an instruction, do not be afraid. The second is the reason for the directive, for I am with you. The support for God's command to not be scared is the promise of God's presence. I began searching the Bible to find other instances of God's presence addressing someone's concern or worry. What I found was incredible and overwhelming. If you struggle with fear and like to make excuses about why you cannot do something, you may find these passages interesting. In sharing some of these examples from Scripture, I apologize if it feels redundant. I want to demonstrate a significant theme that has developed from the beginning to the end of the Bible. In Genesis, the first book of the Bible, there is a progressive revelation of God to humanity. First, God speaks to Abraham. Abraham is to share God with his family and descendants. Abraham's family would become a nation expected to reveal God to all other people. God's word came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. In God's revelation to Abraham, there is an instruction to not be afraid and the support that God is his shield and his reward. The concept of protection reveals the closeness and presence of the divine. Abraham had a son named Isaac. God appeared to Isaac and said, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Isaac had a son named Jacob, and God said to him, I am with you and will keep you. For three generations, God appears, speaks to their fears, and shares the reality of the divine's presence in their life. Abraham's family lived through a great famine and moved to Egypt for survival. Over the next 400 years, they became slaves in Egypt. God comes to Moses and shares a plan for the people's deliverance and how Moses will be the one to lead the people. Moses was not excited about God's idea, and he made excuses for why it was a terrible plan. Instead of giving Moses a pep talk on believing in himself, God responds with, I will be with you. The same thing God said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. After Moses, Joshua becomes the leader of the people. At the beginning of Joshua's leadership, God says, Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed, for Yahweh your God is with you wherever you go. Now, during this time, there was no official king over Israel. God was considered the leader of the people. The Bible stories reveal a pattern where the people would obey and follow God for a season. Then they would forget about God and go their own way. Eventually, the people would find themselves under attack or in bondage to another group, and they would cry out to God for deliverance. God would raise heroes in the Old Testament known as judges. One of the judges was Gideon. God comes to Gideon and lets Gideon know that he will be the one to deliver the people from their enemies. Similar to Moses, Gideon is afraid and responds. He said to them, O Lord, how shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is the poorest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Gideon makes excuses and says that he is an insignificant person in a very poor family. Gideon does not believe that God can use him. But God says, Surely I will be with you. God does not directly address his excuses, but responds, Gideon, I'm with you. After the judges, the people demand a king, which begins the reign of King Saul, King David, and King Solomon. During their leadership, individuals would rise up and attempt to speak God's truth to power. These individuals, known in the Old Testament as prophets, would speak as God's representative. God came to Jeremiah and told him that he would speak for God. And as we've seen before, Jeremiah rejects God's idea and says, O Lord, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am a child. And God responds, Do not say, I am a child, for you must go to whomever I send you, and you must say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid because of them, for I am with you to rescue you. Repeatedly in the Old Testament, God instructs humanity to not fear, and promises God's presence as the reason for the command. God consistently responds to the excuses with the divine's reality and the spirit's closeness, moving the focus from the problem to God. From each story, God's presence is the deciding factor in their life and the results that they experience. It wasn't because Moses, Gideon, or Jeremiah were great, but because God was with them, and it made all the difference. These are stories from the Old Testament. So what about the New Testament? Is this theme consistent throughout the Bible? Did you know that between the two major sections in the Bible, there's a 400-year gap where God seems to go silent? There are no significant writings concerning God from the Old Testament's last book to the New Testament's first book, about a 400-year period. There is a debate on this gap's meaning, And no one knows for sure what happened during seminary one of my professors shared the idea that God went silent to prepare the world for God's next great revelation God was quiet so that we would lean in a little more and listen more carefully to what God would say next and what did God say next God speaks to Joseph and Mary and John the Baptist parents of God's redemptive work through the life of Jesus Moses records the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that the virgin will give birth to a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, God with us. God breaks the silence by continuing the theme of the Divine's presence with us and how Jesus reveals the closeness of the Spirit. Jesus not only taught his followers on God's presence, but he also models a life of fully engaging the Divine. Jesus goes to the extreme of saying that he can do nothing on his own, and everything he does flows from his connection to God, listening and taking action on what he hears. Jesus said, Most certainly I tell you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father doing. For whatever things he does, the Son also does. Jesus goes on to instruct his followers to do the same things that he has done with his life. They are to stay connected to God's presence, watch what the Spirit is doing, listen for instructions, and take action on what they hear from the divine. Jesus uses the metaphor of a vine that bears fruit and that they will bear delicious fruit if they remain connected to God's presence and flow in their life. Jesus says, Remain in me, and i and you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine so neither can you unless you remain in me i am the vine you are the branches he who remains in me and i in him will bear much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing now before jesus dies he promises that he will always be with his followers there is more that they need to know but it's too much for them to handle at this point The Spirit of God will instruct them and share with them all that they need to know and understand. Jesus' final prayer is a prayer of oneness, unity, connection, and presence. The early church leaders continued the theme of God's presence and the Spirit of God within each of us. The Apostle Paul was an author for much of the New Testament. He frequently used the phrase, in Christ, or with Christ, to express the reality of our connection to the divine. Paul describes each person as the temple of God or the dwelling place of the Spirit. The Apostle John reminds his readers that God's anointing or presence is with them and will teach them all that they need to know. He instructs them to remain connected to the divine. The Apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He goes on to say, Do you not know that you are temples of God, and that God's Spirit lives in you? In another place, Paul says, We have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is from God, that we might know what God has freely given us. Paul indicates that God has revealed the divine and the Spirit's presence in all people. Paul calls this work of God a mystery, and that Jesus' revelation of God is the key to understanding it. This mystery and revelation of God are the gospel message of the Bible. The word gospel simply means good news. So, the mystery of God and the good news for all people is the divine in you. We embrace the Spirit in us as our hope that God is restoring us and all creation. Paul sp- states that this theme of God in you is the hope that we embrace. Paul's writing is a little hard to follow, but this is how he words it The mystery. Which has been hidden for ages and generations, but now it has been revealed to the saints, to whom God was pleased to make known the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Throughout the Bible, God reveals that it is not the individual, but the divine's presence in the individual that is the deciding factor in their life. The same is true for you. The Spirit of God and the Divine in you is the key to experiencing the fullness of life and revealing all God has placed in you. When you live out of your authentic and true self, you demonstrate God's presence, power, and goodness to others. Within you is the Divine waiting to be expressed in all its fullness. It is not just a little bit of the Spirit or a small piece of the divine. You did not receive 20% of God's love or 10% of God's power. The Spirit of Christ in you is the presence of all of God. Within you is 100% of God's strength, peace, power, and goodness. All that God is, is in you. No matter our excuse for God's purpose in our life, the divine's response is always the Spirit's presence. Imagine if each person came to realize and began to live out of this reality. Imagine if everyone believed that God was in them and they lived in a way to demonstrate this to others. When we see each moment as an opportunity to experience the divine and reveal God through us, we bring heaven to earth. Expressing who God has made us and sharing our light brings healing and restoration for those around us. My prayer for you is that you may be strengthened in your spirit, that you may be grounded in the divine, and that you may know the fullness of God's love, and may you see God's power working through you. Thank you for listening to the What's After Church podcast. I'd love to hear from you at whatsafterchurch.com. If you have not subscribed, please do so to stay up to date on new resources and connection opportunities. Until next time, may you experience more of what gives you life, and may you see the light in all people and reveal the light in you. Peace and love.